This podcast series is made possible by a grant from Intuitive, maker of the Da Vinci and Ion Surgical Robotic Systems. The Intuitive Foundation is dedicated to promoting the advancement of STEM educational programs, medical and technology research, healthcare training, and fellowship programs. Welcome to our podcast, Women in STEAM, Perspectives from the Field. I'm your host, Aspen Slavic Erlock, and with much honor, I'm pleased to bring Melissa Estramera on our show today to speak with us about her experiences as an educator, as a computer science connoisseur, and as a woman of STEAM. Welcome to the podcast, Ms. Estramera. Thank you. It's so lovely to have you here this morning, even though it's a little drizzly outside. So to start us off, I'd like to begin with an introduction. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your college experience and what brought you into teaching science and technology. So I started out in college as a biomedical engineer. I went to Case Western, which was nothing but engineering. And in fact, it was one of the few engineering um, schools in the U.S. that was actually doing biomedical engineering at that point. Um, And so I was a research and development biomedical engineer from my sophomore year in college all the way um, till I graduated. Um, The same company hired me, um, and I continued for six years. So uh, it was a great experience. Um, But then I had kids and things changed and I really was not happy that they had no tech in their school and no science and such. And so I started a program and started teaching um, in their school. um, And that was how I got started in education and tech. That's a very cool story. So then where did you find your passion for computer science? So my first job um, in biomedical engineering was counting um, sl- um, cells on slides with a computer program and whether or not they were viable. I literally got a closet, literally a closet, and a computer, and I got to sit there for like eight hours a day testing the code over and over again. And I loved like the tech portion of it. I did not love the closet so much, um, but um, it was really clear at that point that computer science was fun and something that could really save time and help. And so that's where I got started with computer science. That's so cool. The the closet. I love that. (laughs) So how have you seen computer science evolve throughout your career from the closet to now? (laughs) It is definitely changing. I originally learned in C, which um, most people now are scared of. Um, And it's now so much different and so much that can be done with it that couldn't be done with it now. Processing power and graphics, so easily accessible. So many things have changed. And now anyone can learn to code. Um, It just does take some time. And dealing with frustration, because frustration and computer science go hand in hand, but um, computer science is now constantly changing. If you're not checking what's happening every month, Basically, you're behind because languages are evolving. Um, Even Apple is on their ninth version of Swift, I think. So, and it keeps changing drastically. So, wow, that's incredible. That it kind of seems like it exponentially grew over time. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, And then, I guess something you know, maybe a little more superficial. But how does it feel to contribute to the AP Computer Science Exam? APs are great because they're linking industry and they're linking colleges to a level that high schoolers can do. And so it's fun to be able to both work with teachers that are doing this for the first time and to also um, 
be writing questions that students will see sometime. Sometime in the next 10 years, students will get questions that I've written. Uh, We never know when our questions will go out, but it's always fun to watch and see. That's so cool. So was there a moment of time or, or I guess a period of time where you believe that your focus shifted either to or away from biomedical engineering? I know you touched on that a bit before. Um, or has that been a part of your work throughout your career? Well, I think I always fall back on the engineering part, you know, maybe less on the biomedical, less on the actual chemical formulations and biomaterials stuff that I was trained in. But the engineering part is who I am. Um, and I think taking that and dropping it down to kids and seeing how they can solve any problem if they look at it like an engineer is such a great skill. True. I, I definitely agree with that. I love that. I love that you've been able to integrate that at, at least at some point throughout your career. Um, so switching gears, um, or I guess, you know, a little bit in the more biomedical science area. Um, about a month ago, we'd been discussing the new prototype and patent uh, for these engineered coronary artery stents or correct me if I'm wrong anywhere there, um, that you'd been working on. Would you mind speaking a bit more about that for us today? So when I was in college, I wanted a co-op. I wanted the ability to get some experience while I was still studying and learning. And so I applied for all kinds, wasn't getting any. And Boston Scientific had one that was for a grad student. Um, The overseeing um, professor, he's a professor and um, scientist, though had connections with Case, and when the grad student dropped out, he agreed to take me on, Michael Helmus, um, great guy. Um, And so he was researching how to make stent coatings bioactive. So stents go in your blood vessels, they open them up when there's blockages, but then the problem is they close back up, one, due to tissue damage or damaging the vessel when you put it in, and two, it builds back up because sometimes lifestyles don't change, sometimes different things. So we were wondering if we could remove some of that idea of blocking back up by being bioactive, letting it heal itself, putting those things. So we were looking at putting hyaluronin, which is the same stuff that's in your eyeball. Um, and it's used in face creams now. It's used in all kinds of things because of its healing properties. Putting that on stents. Um, so it was a great program. Uh, it didn't ever come to product. Um, bioactives. And spray coating don't go well together. It also didn't like to adhere to stainless steel. Um, But we did apply for a patent for that. Um, And so we have that patent for bioactive materials, um, which is pretty cool. Uh, But once that project kind of wasn't viable, uh, I started working on the biodegradable coating. And I was working on that when I left Boston Scientific. And now been 14 years or so, it finally came to market 14 years after they started the project. Oh, wow. Yeah. What a wonderful full circle moment. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, So I know you mentioned programming a bit, and that's obviously been prevalent uh, throughout your career. Tell me a bit more about um, the programming that you'd been working on and that written work to link together uh, the blood glucose monitors and insulin pumps in that story. So um, I'm a type 1 diabetic, and The technology currently is great, um, but commercially available, there's, well, now just this week, three systems. um, I don't love the FDA rules. They say five systems, but three of those are Medtronic, so let's just count them as one. Um, Systems that link together your continuous glucose monitor, which is constantly checking your sugar, and your insulin pump. 
um, which is actually dosing you with insulin. And so the idea is if you can link these together, you can basically get an artificial pancreas. The commercially available systems um, have some problems. One, they're not real customizable. The FDA's put a lot of regulations on that clearly needed. Um, others systems, the CGM really doesn't work. Continuous glucose monitor is a CGM. Um, it doesn't work. It gives you the wrong readings and isn't accurate enough. And so there was a whole group of people, um, one particular, he had a daughter. He was very frustrated with her management of type 1. And so he started a program called We Are Not Waiting. And he started writing the code to connect the two best systems out there, which was Omnipod and Dexcom. And connect these two together, give parents the ability to track their kids' sugars and to actually real live time give them doses and connect these really well um, so that it worked as a really functioning uh, artificial pancreas. And so that code has been out there. We're all able to now manipulate it. We're able to jump on the project and help out as we see fit. Um, And it really is a life changer. Um, Diabetics are told to keep their A1C, um, which is their blood sugar over three months, under seven. Most of us looping um, have it well under those that are non-diabetic. Mine's 5.5, so which is pretty much equal or maybe even lower than yours. Oh my gosh, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's so cool. And, you know, of course, that investment of having a loved one in there or dealing with it yourself was, you know, huge motivator. I can only imagine. Absolutely. Um, And then I guess on the topic of insulin, I know we talked about, again, some of the things you touched on, some of the medical inequalities that surround healthcare for diabetic patients, often resulting in limited access to resources, which are obviously crucial for, for, you know, said patients. And I know the cost of insulin has risen to an outrageous price in the past 15 years. So from your experience and knowledge working in developing these cutting-edge medical technological devices, what is the driving force behind making such life-saving inventions so cost-ineffective? Well, I think the problem is insulin hasn't changed in the last 15 years, and there's really no reason for it to keep rising in cost. And that's why there's so many bills within Congress and such trying to regulate it, that it needs to be affordable for uh, everyone. That and, you know, those that aren't knowledgeable about these things are then turning to alternative solutions that can be deadly. Um, Walmart offers free low-cost insulin, sometimes free, um, but it's an insulin that doesn't last like that that you would get from your doctor. And so people are taking it on the same fashion that their doctor tells them to and often ending up in the hospital and dying. Um, So all of these diabetic supplies often also are um, behind, you know, the people that are on Medicare or on low-income health care can't get products that I can get today for another two years until it's two years past that technology. And that's really disconcerting. So, wow. yeah, I, I really think that it needs to level out. We all need to be available for the same things. And that's where the we're not waiting and all really helps. Um, the technology we use is older, um, but it works just as effic- effectively, if not more effectively. And, you know, giving people that chance um, is really helpful. 
I got a new doctor here in St. Pete. Um, he works with a lot of clients that are low income and those without health insurance. And so we've been working on how to train people and get people on this system. And uh, he's learning some of the tech behind it so he can try to share it with those that he feel it would really help. That's incredible. Yeah. I love that. Um, so overall, kind of wrapping up here, what has your experience been like as a woman of STEAM, especially in some of the most historically male-dominated fields like computer science? Unfortunately, a lot of those stereotypes haven't changed. Um, I loved walk, working you know, in a lot of different companies, um, but one of my first jobs, uh, one of my bosses was very old school. Uh, he took my idea. He disregarded me. I mean, it wasn't a great experience, um, but then seeing others in that line step up and say, hey, wait, let's look at this again. And are you sure this is your idea? And working through that was a great experience. So it is changing. I mean, even case, when I got there, it was 60% male, 30, you know, 40% female. I know that that has changed now. The ratios are finally flipping and growing. Um, But I think it's still in some ways, you still have to, no matter who you are, make sure you follow your passions and don't let anybody stand in your way. Oh, I like that. And I guess that kind of blends into my my final question here. What do you hope for the future of STEAM and aspiring young girls uh, looking to enter the field? I hope that they don't give up. I hope that they realize with no matter what field you're entering, there's frustrations. Yes, computer science, there's more frustrations. Um, Engineering, you know, there's more frustrations because you're in that constant loop of redesign and retry and fix what you've already, you know, done. And nothing is ever going to hit a level of perfection. Um, But I hope that they don't give up and they look for other strong, you know, mentors. And it doesn't have to be another woman in STEAM. If you can find another woman in STEAM, you're, you know, that's great. But also one of my best mentors was Mike Helmus, and he was amazing um, because he didn't look at me as a woman in STEAM. He just looked at me as someone that was there willing to learn and really excited to try new things. So I love that. Just find someone that can give you that same passion back. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Ms. Estemera, for coming to speak with us today. It's been wonderful to have your experiences and, and your perspective you know, shared with us on the podcast today. I really appreciate you giving our time. Well, thank you, Aspen. Thank you. The Women in STEAM Perspectives from the Field podcast series is a student production of Shorecrest Preparatory School. Theme composed by Julia Lagakis, class of 2021. Artwork by Shannon Ross, Class of 2021. Host, Aspen Slavic Gierlach, Class of 2022. This podcast series is made possible by a grant from Intuitive, maker of the Da Vinci and Ion Surgical Robotic Systems. The Intuitive Foundation is dedicated to promoting the advancement of STEM educational programs, medical and technology research, healthcare training, and fellowship programs.